Hello, and welcome to 404 Podcast Found. I'm Owen Gottimer, and I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. Christopher Nordstrom is an independent test developer and founder of Northern Test Consulting in Sweden. Christopher and I sat down in Chicago and talked about the rise in popularity of Python as a programming language, the importance of being authentic online and off, and how having fun at work can help increase productivity. So Python is a programming language, sometimes described as a scripting language. But it's, uh, it's, it's funny because Python has been around since the early 1990s and it's, it's actually older than Java. And Java, of course, everyone has heard of, but Python's been around for longer. And its uh, inventor, when he invented Python many years ago, he had this vision where he saw that a lot of programming languages, they were um, unnecessarily complex and unnecessarily complex. So one of the, 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 the driving guides for Python has always been in the community that things should be what we call Pythonic. And one of the attributes for, for Pythonic code is that it should just be easy to use, straightforward, not unnecessarily complex. And you know, if you've ever programmed in a language, you know that if you, if you want to make a logical and or, or comparison, then you have the double ampersand, so you have the, the double pipe signs, and then, you know. But in, in Python, instead, they they made a decision. No, we're just going to spell out and, and we're going to spell out or the English language, and it just makes perfect sense. So, one of the things behind Python is that the, the code should be, well, as close to English language as possible. So it's it's possible to write really uh, readable code and. What I like and, and what my students very quickly discover in the class is that you feel very productive with the language. It's fun to write with it and there is a very a very small gap between ID to prototype. Mm. Uh, whereas in other programming languages you often have to put up what we call boilerplate code, a lot of extra scaffolding around just to print a simple hello world or something. Whereas in Python things are very straightforward and and that's one of the many things that students in my class really appreciate. Yeah, so why do you think that, because you said Python's been around since the early 90s, why do you think that, uh, you know, things like Java have, you know, kind of taken off and maybe are more well-known than something like Python? Because from the sounds of it, it sounds like Python is something that people can maybe learn a little bit more easily because it's written kind of in plain language. It's, it's uh, for sure more approachable, I would say, but that could also be a bias and a personal opinion of mine, but um, I think we're, we're coming into areas such as, you know, Java, as an example, I think have had a more of a corporate backing, more, you know, commercials and, and had more advertisements. So it's, it's been known more. Mm -hmm. And if you're known, then you have more people adopting it. And if you have more people adopting it, well, it just feeds into itself. So whereas Python has always been more of a community driven uh, thing so I think that may be but you see clearly over the last few years uh, that Python is trending straight upwards and surpassing most of the program languages and it's approaching to become one of the most popular one and it's a good reason for that because again it's easy to work with you feel very productive and uh, yeah it leads to clean code and that's why I think it's so suitable for many testers to have that not, not per se because you're going to do test automation with it, although you, you uh, for sure can do that. 
But I think one of the main points, and this is exactly what I teach in my class, is that uh, a lot of the stuff we do as testers is manual stuff. We move files around, or we open them and we scour through the text and try to find patterns, or we, uh, we delete files or whatever. And a lot of those things are just so much more uh, better achieved by a computer. So that's why I teach my students to, to write these small tools which takes care of the, the, the really boring and slow manual work so that they can focus on the, the, the thinking testing, the sapient testing, because that's uh, really what we testers are. We need to think and test and explore. We form hypotheses and we try to disprove them and just trying to get all that manual uh, repetitive work out of the way allows us to be more creative and more uh, more efficient basically yeah and i think that's awesome that um especially as the whole the community the software community as a whole is trying to um move a little bit more towards automation where we can automate some of those yeah. you know more basic things out of the way so we can really think critically and, and make some decisions um from a person, from a human perspective. Um, so you mentioned that you know you can automate some of those things away. What else? Uh, what else can you do with Python code? You know, are, are there restrictions to using it, or are you know? No, and that's that's the that's really the main. But one of the other points I drive home to students is that uh, free tools and commercial tools are all well and fine, and they'll get you a a large part of the way, whether it's. Uh, whether it's sending REST API calls or if it's you know doing this or that, but a tool by its very nature is going to be designed by someone else. They will have made certain uh, decisions which will, at the very end of the day, will restrict you. So what I try to show is that it's so easy and and so so fun, quite frankly, to create your own tools and then you can custom make them, you can tailor them to your own needs and where a where a commercial tool needs to be very broad and need to cover hundreds of different types of customers. What you only need to do is cover your own and maybe your colleagues' needs. And that allows you to write a highly customized and very uh, specialized tool in quite a short time, actually. And that's what we do in my class. I mean, we go through all these exercises, the whole four testers. It's not a shtick, it's not a gimmick. Uh, so I base that on my experience as a tester, where I worked in large parts in the telecom industry, and I worked in other domains as well. And I just want to show them examples of how do I use Python, mm. and I try to show them a big smorgasbord of different examples that, hey, this is how we write a, a quick little tool to gather up these four test artifacts, zip them up, give the file name a nice little timestamp and then we connect to a remote FTP server or Dropbox and we just upload it. Or hey, let's write a quick little tool which starts monitoring two or even three log files at the same time, filters for specific keywords and then when we encounter it we print it out in separate colors. And students finish these ex exercises up in everything from 30 to 45 minutes, sometimes an hour. Mm -hmm. But that's all it takes, basically. And, and I try to tell them that the more you practice with Python, and I tell them that, obviously, I, I expect that none of you go out from this class putting up senior Python developer on your LinkedIn resume. Uh, this is a good starting point. Mm -hmm. But it takes practice. But at the same time, they quickly see that, hey, this is not the old C++ course that I was taught in university that, quite frankly, a lot of testers still have nightmares about, mm. you know, doing double-linked memory lists and all of that. And, and here they can just feel really productive. 
Yeah. And so it becomes fun to learn the language. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And I think that um, <clears throat> I myself can code in a couple of languages. Nothing mm -hmm. that would, I tell, my, I tell people I know enough code that I can get myself in trouble with it. So I try to stay away from it. But Python sounds like something that I might be interested in learning as well. And I'm sure there's people in the community um, that either are interested in learning it or maybe by watching or listening this, are now becoming aware of Python. Yeah. Um, obviously your training course is a great resource to get started, but are there any other avenues people can take if maybe they can't get to one of your training courses? Well, there are, there are tons of resources out there, uh, but I mean, one resource that I, I typically hammer home a lot in my class is uh, Learn Python the Hard Way. It's a book and it's available online. Mm -hmm. And I also tell my students, you know, don't, don't let the title scare you. The, the hard way is that the author describes it as instead of just reading through the books, actually code through the examples. Do them yourselves, even though you're just copying the text. And I discovered that a, a few years after I, I ran my own class because that's exactly the same thing I tell my students. We go through the slides and I tell them, you know, run through these examples yourself, type them down. And I tell, well, maybe you find it a bit boring, but you know, there was a reason why our teachers in school told us to take notes. And it's, it's in part because we can go back later and review them, but also when they are typing down the code, they are engaged. And when you're engaged with your brain, you have a far superior learning experience. Mm -hmm. Also though, uh, and that's the, well, I wouldn't say drawback, but it leaves the, uh, anyone doing this just exhausted after mm -hmm. the first day because it's, it's mentally draining, but you're, you're learning so efficient in that setting. Uh, so that's, that's a book I'm, I'm constantly pushing and, and there are, there are so many other things, but that's a good introduction to getting you started with Python. The biggest problem, though, and and this is you know this is also one of the points I have. It's that any programming course or book they will be often generic by nature uh, because they need to tailor to to different crowds. So uh, a lot of times I find that students try to take these classes and they say, okay, I've learned about if statements and for loops and variables and all that. And then I just say, and where do I go from there? How do I use this as a tester? How is this applicable to me? Mm. And again, there, there comes the whole smorgasbord where I just try to show a plethora of different examples. This is how you could do it. This is what you could do. This is how we send emails with Python. And you know, obviously not all my examples are gonna be applicable for everyone, but if students come in and they see two or three great ideas, hey, that's mission success for me. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think that a lot of people um, that are getting opportunities to learn from you and, and learn Python in general, as you mentioned, are having a little bit more fun maybe getting yes. to do, do some of these things. And I know that you also have interest in talking about um, having fun at work in general. I and think I think that's a prime motivator for, for anyone in, in growing and just doing a good job in general, I would say. Um, I mean, at times, I mean, we're all adults and we're professionals, so I mean, some work tasks are quite frankly a bit boring but at the same time if i'm if i'm surrounded by a team and people around me where we just have good fun and we crack yokes and maybe sometimes we can be a bit sarcastic i think that helps us so much through the days uh, and, and and at the same time while we're having fun as a group together uh, i think we do so much better work we're motivated and again we're engaged and we want to do this uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a key driver, I think, behind a lot of the the teams that gel well together. And and I think gelling is such a, an important concept of how do we just fit together as a group. That's not something you get 
the first day when when you're thrust together in the same same area with the same desk that comes over time and and in some parts it's a process that you can help in a artificial manufactured way by doing you know team activities together but also in large part it's, it's huge depending on which kind of people are there mm. are there people in the team who are willing to let their hair down you know crack a little jokes make fun of themselves letting everyone else in the team know that hey this is a safe place and you know we can actually have fun together so i mean i've been part of those teams in the past and it's, it's such a huge difference and i think a lot of the teams who embrace a well, a geeky culture. I think that's one way to build identity of a team. Uh, I was part of a team many years ago where every one of us was very, very geeky. And what we ended up doing, one of the things we, we had a Kanban board and we said, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we, we built a Lego Kanban board? And we <laughs> kind of, we sketched out the idea and we went to our manager and said, hey, we want to do this. And we were working at a consulting company at the time. And he just looked at it and said, I love the idea, do it. So, you know, we had a budget, we ordered some Lego plates, we put it up on the board, and then everyone got to choose their own Lego figure to represent themselves. Again, it's all about building identity for yourself and the team. And of course, no one got to pick the Darth Vader figurine because that was like $50 per <laughs> figure and everyone had to had free, rep uh, free copies of them because right. you were working on the same tasks. So, so that was a great team and we had so much fun. And just recently, I joined a new team at a place and uh, on the first day the manager introduced uh, she sat down and talked with me and she said you're gonna join this team they're really called uh, team 10 but uh, in Swedish they, they call themselves team Elva which is uh, Swedish for team 11 but it also translates to team fairy and I was and and she said they spell it a bit differently and I said oh I think I'm gonna love this team <laughs> And then I come down and they, they're all welcoming. And I say, hey, welcome. And they give me information. Here you're going to sit. And I've, I'm fitting right in. And they say, oh, by the way, on our Jira board, every one of us have chosen a avatar from a Disney Ferris movie. So to fit into the team, you need to pick your own. And I just, I just loved it. So I went out, you know, geeked out, looked up Disney Ferris, the Wikipedia, and mm -hmm. made my mark there. Because that's a serious commitment, you know. Don't just choose something on random. <laughs> Right. And it's part of building identity, and uh, that team has all the hallmarks of being another, you know, great team that has fun together and just gels, and everyone helps out. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think that we spend so much time, you know, working with our teams, and I think that having fun is just so important. Yeah. Um, my team has done something similar. We, some of us, refer to ourselves as the tadpoles, and there's like <laughs> backstory behind yeah. it, like whatever it means. But uh, so that basically, we're working in testing agile DevOps and security. Yeah. So we said, all right, what is T A D S Tad Tadpoles, and it all kind of fits <laughs> into that sort of acronym. Um, so that's like you'll, when we post a photo of the group, I'll do hashtag Tadpoles. No one really understands it other than us, but really, that's all who that's all that exactly, it's important for the team. At this point, that's your identity. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, having fun building the identity of the group is so important. And, uh, you know, for, for better or for worse, in human psychology and group behavior, people need to feel that they belong somewhere. Mm -hmm. And one way to belong into a group is to separate ourselves from the other groups. And that can lead to good or bad behavior. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just building a, a healthy, positive identity of the team is a good way for people to feel that, yeah, we're in this together. Right, yeah, and we, uh, you know, yesterday you and I went on a walking tour of Chicago um, with a pretty sizable group, and, and one of the reasons we were doing that is to try to 
make people feel like they belonged and introduce them obviously to the city of Chicago. Yeah. Um, and I think we had a lot of a lot of fun yesterday on that walk. No, for sure, and, there um, was a lot of laughs and a lot of great sightings as well. Chicago is a beautiful city. Yeah, Chicago is super gorgeous and. Um, I think that we kind of, you know, while we didn't build an identity where we had Disney princesses or fairies or where we had, uh, <laughs> well, that, you know, that's it, the thing, and it's an important part. I, I point I need to make before I forget it: these things can't be forced. Mm -hmm. These things can't be artificial. Because if you, as a manager, step in and you think that, aha, uh -huh, I'm gonna rig this game. I'm gonna make sure that I apply an identity to them. Then it doesn't work. It needs to grow from the bottom up. It needs to be authentic and genuine and so many things in our lives needs to be that. Mm -hmm. I've had people in the past, I had marketing people asking me, Christopher, why do you have so many followers on Twitter? Why are people so engaged with what you tweet? And and the only thing I can tell them is, you know, just be yourself, just tweet authentic stuff and interesting things. And if you're trying to build up a persona or trying to create something that you're not, then people are gonna sniff out that in a second. And I see the marketing people looking at me, nodding, saying, yeah, and then I, they, they just don't get it. <laughs> Most of them don't get it because they have their scripts and their, their recipes. Mm -hmm. There are a few who, who know, understand that you need to be authentic and genuine. Yeah, that's awesome. I actually, so I actually geek out a little bit on this exact conversation. Mm -hmm. So I did my master's thesis uh, at the University of Westminster in London. And I studied self-presentation theory and basically how we present ourselves in different social situations. And I applied self-presentation theory to Twitter and oh, how wow. people will try to create different personas, personas on Twitter. Goffman's theories. Yes, and my, my uh, thesis was based around the fact that we have to be genuine and, yes. and we have to present ourselves our, as our true selves because at the end of the day that is a representation of our true selves. And that doesn't stop us from having a few different personas. Mm -hmm. You know, as, as, uh, as I just mentioned, I mean, Goffman's theories from the 60s says that we have different masks. We are playing different characters yep. on stage. So when I'm at home, I am the loving husband, father. And when I'm at work, I may be, you know, the professional tester, uh, joking around, etc. And then I may have a slightly different persona on Twitter. They may not diverge a lot, mm -hmm. but still, there are different aspects of me. And it's okay to have different aspects of you as long as all of them are well, authentic and genuine, I would say. Of course, yeah, that's awesome. And there's actually, um, so I studied a lot of Goffman, of course, <laughs> while I was doing this research. Uh, but there's also a quote from William Shakespeare. I'm a huge Shakespeare mm -hmm. nerd. Those are like the two things I geek out on is self-presentation theory on social media and like applied to social media and Shakespeare. I would never have guessed. Yeah, and Shakespeare has a, uh, a quote um, that says, all the men in the world are players and each one in their lives plays many a part. So basically yes. that's the same idea as Goffman, just Shakespeare wrote it a little bit maybe more a little earlier <laughs> and a little bit earlier. Um, so I was actually in Philadelphia a couple of weeks ago <clears throat> and we're walking past a, a statue and it has William Shakespeare and I said, oh, that's cool. So I walk up to it and that's the transcribed quote. Oh, wow. And I was like, what are the chances? <laughs> like this is like, I think it's like, Am I getting punked right now? Because exactly. it's like so perfect for me. So I love, yeah, I love that. And, and to your point, you know, I think it is important that we do have different pers we do have different personas in this in the situations we're in. Yeah. But it's about just being as true to yourself as you can in that space. Um, and I think online, a lot of times people, you know, you hear in real life, and I think sometimes people forget that social media is real life. Like there yeah. are real world implications to things you post, um, and people can really become interested in what you have to say if you're being authentic so yeah. 
Um, I think that's really, really, really wonderful. Um, so I do have some some follow-up questions based on the fun at work. So you talk about building this Lego combo more, which I need to see a picture of at some point if you have one, because that just sounds- I would so, love to show yeah, you. That sounds so cool. Um, so I know that the my team is in this situation. I'm sure there's other teams out in the community that are in this situation where we're working virtually. And we actually don't yeah. have an office that we go into. Um, so actually, and then even, you know, there are other teams that are distributed across the globe. Mm -hmm. and. It's not even something where you can get together and engage with those people on a regular basis or even on a semi-regular basis. Do you have any strategies that teams can implore that are that are not co-located? It's so hard. I mm -hmm. mean, the sheer fact that we are physically and geographically separated mm -hmm. will put up a barrier between us. And no matter how much we want to, that, that simply is a limitation. Mm -hmm. I mean, you and I were sitting here we're engaging, we're talking with each other. You can see my body language and you know I smile and all these different signs that get lost in digital uh, communication, regardless if it's Skype or if it's emails or whatever, so much is lost over that distance. So I think to some extent, we just have to accept that fact. But one, one of the most efficient strategies in my view is if you're starting up a team and you're serious about trying to get them to work well together, I mean, make sure that they get together at the start of the project. Just mm -hmm. fly them out, have you know a day, a weekend, whatever. Spend some time together because when people get to know the human being, they mm -hmm. see that, hey, he or she is not that bad. He or she is just like me. Mm -hmm. And then you can genuinely engage more. You can let your hair down and you can have a bit more fun. But unless we meet each other physically, there is just so much that we don't know about that person on the other end of an email or, or a Skype call or whatever. So I think that's one, in my view, because those teams, they tend to work for a, a bit longer time together. So if you're gonna invest time in, in having people doing work for you, having, to, having them meet physically, I, I would reckon is a fraction of the cost that mm -hmm. it is to just employ them over half a year's project or whatever. Yeah, I think that's really awesome. And I, I think that more teams need to take advantage of that. And obviously there's upfront costs in making that happen in yes. certain situations, of course. But um, I think there is great value. My team, uh, so basically most of my team is based out of Florida. I'm based out of yeah. the Washington DC area. And they flew me down um, like a week into the project so that I could meet everyone. And I think that that really helped kind of jumpstart our relationship. No, it really does. Um, another great, I think another great resource for that and uh, is you know attending meetups and attending conferences and community events with other people in your um, you know in your space and on your teams because it allows you to you know get to get to see them and meet with them and yeah. you know we kind of techwell as an employee at techwell I kind of have uh, a way of doing that because we put on conferences but I think that it's great even I mean even you when you come and you're able to interact with some of the other community members that you haven't seen in three, four, five weeks, maybe even longer than that. Yes. Um, you get to reconnect with them and really start to continue those relationships. No, absolutely. And um, that's that's one of the hard parts in trying to describe to people why you should go to a conference. Mm -hmm. Managers typically tell mm -hmm. their employees, well, one, when you go to this conference, take notes, and then I want you to share whatever you learned at the conference afterwards. And that's, I would say, maybe well and fine, although I have some issues about the whole thing about tacit and implicit knowledge. but. Uh, but a, a, a huge part, I'm sorry to say, is, is just more than the speakers. Mm -hmm. It's more than attending the sessions. 
it's about what goes on outside of that in the coffee breaks when you meet other people in the, in the same domain talking in the evenings when you go out and sure there may be a beer or two involved mm -hmm. but the, the the bigger point is that we are talking about our craft our profession what is happening we're gossiping we're sharing news and we're getting inspired we're getting new ideas and we're forming new relationship with people that stick for life i have a hard time explaining at home why i'm so genuinely glad meeting friends that i've now known for many many years in, in on the conference scene but i may only see them once or twice every year and sometimes even uh, more in between than that but mm. the time we spend together is very intense and you you again you engage on a very intimate level in the evenings and you talk you share ideas and these people quickly become very close friends to you uh, some people may know that i i went through a know a face uh, we had some problems with my daughter we were battling uh, brain cancer for her and but one of the things that really st stuck out to me in that time was the test community and how when I asked for help how each and everyone in the test community stood up as one and said of course we're there we're there to help and I had so many people who you know both on a personal level talk with me but also you know arranged meetups they arranged conferences they raised funds and uh, i will never ever be able to thank the test community enough for that mm -hmm. but it, it deeply touched me and my wife and i really saw what a fantastic close community we are where people just want to help out and share and i had seen that over years in in the form of you know young people coming into the craft and you had more senior people say hey i'll be happy to be your mentor or coach you or you know hit me up on skype and we'll discuss this problem and i'll share whatever information i have and here i saw that but on a, on a totally different level so the community we have is is fantastic and very strong and that is in part because of all these conferences where we meet over and over again and you know form these bonds yeah i think that's really special um i think that so i i joined techwell about a year ago from not in the technology space. Mm -hmm. I was not into software, I was not in technology, and I was a little bit overwhelmed trying to come into a new position in a new domain, um, and I felt welcomed right away. And actually one of the first people, I, we didn't talk about this before, one of the first people while I was sitting down the first two weeks I was there, uh, my boss, Allison Wade, said, you need to meet Christopher Nordstrom. And I mean, that was straight away, and I said, okay. So I think I went straight away, followed you on Twitter. <laughs> Let's learn about Christopher. And um, I'm so happy that we got the opportunity to meet and that we're, you know, we've gotten to reconnect a few times at conferences and finally getting a chance to sit down and talk. And um, I really appreciate, uh, you know, all, all the things you've done for the community and the support that you've shown um, in trying to grow the grow the community and, and grow individuals inside of the community to be better uh, software testers and, and better people in general. So I really appreciate that. And um, thank you, of course, Christopher, for sitting down for me today. Um, I really appreciate your time. No, it's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Owen. We'd love to continue this conversation and more on the TechWell Hub. You can join our Slack community at hub.techwell.com. And remember to check out techwell.com to learn about our expert training, conferences, and communities for software professionals.